and welcome to Indie Dotes, the show for independent uh, creators. I'm Susan Bond, the host of your show, and today I have Jen Schiffer on the show. Jen is a web app developer, a pixel artist, and a tech satirist. She's also a community de- community developer at Glitch. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Before this, we were having so much fun talking about my love of kombucha and how it is not your love and how I can't drink coffee, but you totally love it. Yeah, I love, um, I can't drink regular coffee because it makes me itchy, but latte drinks I'm super into. I drink like an almond milk ice latte like every day. And sometimes like if I drink it early in the morning, I get sleepy after. And I heard that coffee naps are not an uncommon thing and I'm totally, yeah. Right, I heard about that. So, see, I don't understand the coffee nap at all because when I drink even a sip of coffee, even decaf coffee, I'm like, I mean, I am, I take my hyperness to like a whole other like 300 level. So, but I hear it's effective. People say that they, they drink the coffee and then they sleep for like 20 minutes and they wake up refreshed and creative or something. Yeah, I don't know. I should probably look more into this to make sure it's not killing me. It probably is, but <laughs> I do plenty of things where, I don't know. I, I got lunch with a couple of coworkers the other day, and I went to go for uh, a can of Diet Coke, and he's like, that's going to kill you. And I'm like, this is not going to be what kills me. Like, trust me. <laughs> this is not the worst thing. <laughs> like, you don't know about the life I live. This is not good. I'm like, if Diet Coke, if Coke Zero is what kills me, I would be lucky. <laughs> right. You're like, this is just the appetizer to that meal. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, yeah. So I'm really excited to have you on the show today. And you've, you've done a ton of different projects, um, including VART, which I think is so important. But today we wanted to talk about Make 8-Bit Art. Yeah, so um, makeapitart.com is a website that's been around for several years, and it's sort of my side project that I've only just recently had time to jump back into. Mm. Um, It's kind of like if it's not broke, why fix it? Um, And it hasn't been broken for a while. Uh, (laughs) It's an in-browser pixel art editor that um, is cute looking. I designed Mm -hmm. it. Um, It's probably the nicest thing I've ever designed. and it, it's cute. It's super cute. I, I don't thank know. You. I love looking at it. <laughs> it's very easy to make cute stuff when it's like pixel art. Um, so what I wanted to do several years ago when I was in college was I wanted to learn JavaScript, but I needed to make something in that process. And so I started building a pixel art editor. And first it started out with like a bunch of like div boxes. And then when you click on the boxes, JavaScript would change the CSS to change the background to that color. And that was cool. But in order to save your art, you had to set the, uh, you had to like take a screenshot. And so then someone told me about the HTML5 Canvas API. And they're like, oh, if you just do this in Canvas, you can just convert that to an image or you could like right click and save the canvas as an image. And so I converted it to be using um, canvas and that's where it's at today. It used to be like in a small frame and now it's like a full page size. And as you change the browser size, it increases the size of the canvas and there's like copy and paste. And these are all like things that like, I never thought I'd be able to write. But then when I have time, I'm like, I'm going to bang out this feature. And then I do it and I'm like, oh wow, like I do know how to code. And then I use it to draw pixel art. And that's really the two reasons to create this was I wanted to learn JavaScript and build on the web more. And I wanted a tool that was free and in the browser to build pixel art. Well, so can I ask you, I get the, I get like, I get why you made, why JavaScript and why you wanted to learn it. What a great way, right? Like, instead, like the, a great way to learn is to do a project rather than just read a book about it. I mean, I have to learn by doing personally. It's the only way I learn anything. Um, but I, the question I have is why pixel art? Uh, pixel art is cool. Well, um, obviously. I like, yeah, like, <laughs> and... I grew up, so I was born in 1985, um, and so I should be part of the generation that was super into NES and, like, Sega and all those games, but growing up poor, I didn't, like, have any of those things. My dad got a Sega probably in, like, my early teen years, but um, I was just super into watching people play video games, and then, like, with the internet and YouTube and stuff, like, just watching 
all the old classic games being played. And now that like I have friends who have like all those consoles, I can play with them now. Um, but and, and it always blows their mind when I'm like, oh yeah, I've never like played through Super Mario Brothers before. This is my first time. And they're like, wait, what? Where have you been? Uh, <laughs> I just have always been super into pixel art. And also I like um, the abstraction from photorealism that pixel art brings. So like most of the art that I make is um, like erotic. I draw a lot of like nudes of women and it's just easier to it's both easy and hard to draw pixel art nudes because it's easy in that you don't have to be as detailed but the constraints of the pixels means that you have to make some decisions about like body part sizes so that you can tell what a body part is and and so forth so it's a very challenging and fun thing to do and that's what i look for in all of my side projects and my work um i'm not like making a living off of my art but i do sell stuff here and there um and it's just been like really cool and like i guess like not many not many women are uh doing pixel art erotica no and i mean I, I i was trying to think i'm like is anybody doing that besides you but i, I mean there's not that some I know there's that some i mean i i follow a lot of erotic artists on instagram and the majority of them are men and the stuff that they make is very male gazy and so the people who i don't know it's just whenever i see some really cool erotic like art with women in it that I'm like not immediately like okay this is just like pornography. I look and I see like oh it's a woman who drew this. Like you can tell like when it, whether it's a woman or a guy who has drawn a naked woman because you can just I don't know it's so typical and predictable. Uh, and so I'm trying to create sort of content out there of of women drawn erotically with pixel art so that there is something out there. Uh, that isn't extremely like male gazy although it's like impossible to because there are a lot of like dudes out there that you can write naked woman on a napkin and it turns them on which is fine that's cool uh, <laughs> but. that's so interesting i didn't i mean i i knew you'd done pixel art but i didn't know that the connection between you know make 8-bit art like was was drawing erotica with 8-bit art the original thing or was it just creating art with it in general. Oh, it's just creating art in general. Um, when I work on tools, I know because of how I use the internet and how I use software and even like hardware and just any physical tangible thing, I know that the way that I use things might be wildly different from what the creators had intended. Mm. Uh, and so I try to keep that in mind when I'm building tools, like understanding that like why I'm using this is not necessarily how someone else is going to use this. That's and I think so great. It's a, yeah, I think it's an important thing to think about because when we're building software and designing software, we have to like think that there are people who, in terms of accessibility, there are people who um, will not be able to use the stuff that we're creating the way that we use it. So we have to be mindful of that. You also have to be mindful that people might use our tools for harassment. Like we have to like be proactive about preventing that or knowing how to solve those problems and. We also need to know that like people might tell you like oh i really like the app you made i use it for this and you're like oh i didn't know that anybody would sort of like do that and this is stuff that i'm encountering um with my work on glitch.com is like we don't like every every week someone tweets at me something that they've made with glitch and i'm like oh wow i didn't think that anybody would like do this with that but that's cool or like that's not cool don't do that <laughs> right. I mean, it is interesting when you put a, when you make a creation and put it out into the world and the world will do with it and interpret it the way that it wants. And you have some control or you don't sometimes. I'm curious about with Make 8-Bit Art, how did that inform how you designed it? Thinking about the fact that, like, what decisions did you make? Thinking, well, somebody might not use it the way that I do. Does that mean you leave things more open or? Well, I think that when I created Make Ape Art, it originally was like a, I don't know, remember what the ratio of the pixels were, but it was within like the small gold frame that I found on a free stock photo site. And someone was like, I would love to be able to change the size of the art 
And so I was thinking, like, well, I can have, like, options for different frames that drive, like, the ratios of the art or whatever. Uh, but then I was like, you know what? Maybe people want to use this actual make pixel art that doesn't have a frame around it, so I should just make it the full width of the browser. And so then I did that, and people were like, yeah, this is what I want. And then I was drawing on it, and I, like ran out of space and I'm like oh man I wish that if I like increase the browser size it would just extend the canvas so I had more space and so I built that so it's like just like decisions that are driven by my own needs because I use a tool possibly more than anybody else does but also listening to the users who are reaching out to me of like what their needs are for it mm-hmm oh that that's really cool what was the, when you were initially making it, or even now, what's been the hardest part about, you know, the creation of or getting out into the world about Make 8-Bit Art? Um, I think that, well, I mean, I didn't intend on making money off of Make 8-Bit Art. I mean, I don't even have ads on it now, and people say I'm crazy because I have, like, thousands of people going on it every day. Um, hmm. But I was initially thinking, like, back when I was broke um, and, like, a grad student, I was like, oh, I should, like, put an ad on here. But then, like, since it's so JavaScript heavy, I was afraid that, like, adding third-party JavaScript can completely, like, bork the thing, so I never did. Um, yeah. Oh, interesting. So it was a tech, in some ways, a technical decision. Technical yeah, yeah. Decision. And, then I, and then I felt like, well, if I made money off of it, then I'm responsible to maintain and add features regularly because that's sort of the um i guess that's sort of the expectation in today's capitalist society in open source that if i'm making money off of something that means i have a responsibility to um maintain it as if it were my day job regardless of how little money i'm making off of it that's such a good point um and i didn't want to be responsible for that i have a meetup called jersey script and like I don't take tickets or money or whatever because I just don't want to deal with money. Um, and so with Make Ape and Art, I've sort of had a lot of discussions with people who are, for some reason, very concerned about me making money off of it. Like, they're like, you should put ads on it. Or people trying to sell me ads. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's not really in line with, like, what I want to do with it. That'll just, like, complicate things. And I just don't have time. I mean, I haven't added a feature to Make Ape and Art in... I would say maybe like a year and a half. Like I haven't, I definitely haven't since I started this new job. Um, and as I've started doing live coding sessions, I've started thinking of like refactoring Make Apeit Art because it uses a lot of jQuery. And I'm like, oh, I could pull that out. So I wanted to do that live so people could sort of like learn about the code base. And it's very much like, when, how I clean my apartment, I had to tear everything up and then like put it back, put it away. <laughs> right. right. It looks worse before it gets better. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if I want that negativity in my life right now. So it's a very <laughs> slow process. Um, and yeah, so I guess the concern is just like dealing with the technical debt I've created for myself. Because again, I wrote Make Apidar. I started writing this when I was learning JavaScript. And that was like, I don't know. I, I, I should go on the Wayback Machine and see how far back uh, makeapitart.com um, goes. But I was with like my I was with my first boyfriend that I was living with when I made it, and so yeah, it's got to be like seven years ago. Yeah, that's yeah. a long time. It's yeah, it's a long time. So just like sort of trying not to get overwhelmed thinking about it is like a big thing. Well, right, because it's uh, I mean, right now, about how many hours a week are you spending on it? Is it pretty small it's close to zero <laughs> okay right. i think i think like a few weeks ago i did a live coding session where i was creating a browser page size canvas to start the refactor and so that was like an hour um and i'm not merging any of these into the the uh production project like i'm cr basically creating like a clone of it and then i'll just switch the domain over or whatever or merge it um but yeah i have very very little time working on that because i have a million other things that i work on as well and again like i said before if it's not broken why fix it like make com works i haven't heard any complaints from anybody in a while i just keep getting people sending me photos of like their 
students in, in class or their kids playing with it. And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Basically, anything I do now is just refactoring it so that it's cleaner on the um, code side so I can add features without looking at everything and being like, now nah, I'll do this later. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, um, how did you get it out into the world? Was the, and, and was that, you know, at what point did you decide I want to get it out into the world for other people to use? Or was that baked in when you started creating it? Um, again, I built this for myself. And so I wasn't concerned about getting it out there. Um, and then I was like, well, if, if it's going to be a real thing, it needs to have a domain name. And make 8bitart.com happen to be available and uh yeah yeah I remember this is such a bad story I'm just like thinking of this now I so like the guy <laughs> the guy that I was dating at the time and living with he was a musician and so we're both like making stuff him music me software but also like dead dead ass broke and I was going to school and he was like a valet and like this is like the the foreshadowing of the end of our relationship but there was a lot of like i would make something and i would like check online to see if people were using it and then he'd be like you're not going to become famous for this which in retrospect i'm like wow what an asshole uh but the time i would just be like oh i'm not trying to be famous i just want people to use my stuff uh and so i would just like make art and I would also like tweet like screenshots of my progress in my code because back then like nobody was like live coding online. There was like no Twitch and probably no YouTube streaming. But um, I think that I had no expectations, uh, but I'm very pleasantly surprised at how well it's been doing and how much people have been loving it, which is cool because it's a web application. And I am a big uh, proponent of open web technology versus native. And so to see that people are using make 8-bit art in their YouTube streams of drawing pixel art for their video games, like people are using it to draw sprites for their games. And I'm like, that's cool. They can like literally use anything. Uh, yeah. But they're like, oh, I would use Photoshop, but like that's a lot of money, so I use Make Apeit Art, and I'm like, that's super cool. Like it's very like DIY, as the app itself was DIY for me. Right. Well, yeah, totally. And, and did you, when you put it out in the world, did you, I mean, did you really try to promote it at all, or did you just kind of put it out there? And well, when I made it, it was so long ago. I probably had like. 50 Twitter followers and I think also my Twitter was um, it might have been private because I think I was teaching at um, the grad school I was going to school at um, so my concerns were not really like promoting it to like randos it was more like telling my friends about it uh, I was more concerned about like just the learning process going along with it. So I think the most that I talked about it online when it came out was just showing the drawings that I made with it. I was like, I want people to see my art. I wasn't so concerned about the tool. Uh, I created like a Twitter account. I think there's a Make Apid Art Twitter account, but like, I don't think I've tweeted on it in forever. It was just like, oh, well, if you make a thing, it has to have a domain, it has to have its own Twitter account, it has to have a logo, yeah, it has to like, checklist. you yep. need to have like a social media team. Like, I have, I have the logo and like the Twitter account and then the domain, but the Twitter account, I don't even have that logged in on my iPhone. Uh, I check it every once in a while to see if people have tweeted art at it, but that's basically it. Oh, that's so interesting. How did it start getting bigger out into the world? Like now it has thousands of folks. And, you know, I'm just curious about that story because it was, it's, it was clear to me always that you never really, what, there was never like a big marketing push and there certainly was not a marketing team and a branding team. Yeah. You know, I mean, not because it doesn't look good, but just knowing who, who you are and, get, you know, I've read some of your stuff. So how, when, when did it start to get all these folks? When did the tide start to turn and, and folks really started to become aware of it? Did, was that after you made your uh, Twitter account public? <laughs> um, I think it was purely SEO. Like people are searching make 8-bit art. And like, so just, it's, it's literally like if I look at my analytics for it, likely most of the people who've gotten to the site are from searching 
how to make 8-bit art or how to make pixel art and then it leads to that and then people blog about it from all over the world i know like there are teachers who are like teaching like middle school and elementary school students how to like do things on the computer and they like use make 8-bit art in like one of their like fun lessons which is cool and so i get linked to on like teacher lesson plans from like all over the country and that's cool to follow oh wow yeah it's it's really weird how far it's spread and then like there are like russian and japanese blogs that like do rundowns of like the best ways to make pixel art and they'll be like and if you can't buy the software you could just use this browser tool and it's mine and i'm like yeah like cool oh that's awesome yeah that's awesome and, and i just want to ask this one last question about the 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 getting this out into the world and then i promise i'll stop yeah um when you came up with the name eight bit you know make eight bit art was it at all were you at all thinking about you know the seo juice that might might be behind it no, because again, my concern wasn't right having people like find it, whatever. And actually, this is like a really weird um, thing. Like, people are very pedantic about literally everything, and so I, to this day, get emails and DMs because my DMs are open um, about how make 8bitart.com is not canonically 8-bit and they'll explain to me old computers and what 8-bit means which I'm very well aware of I have a, <laughs> I have a I have a bachelor's and master's in computer science and I focus on computer graphics I'm very well aware of what 8-bit means uh, but I also studied uh, computational linguistics and I understand that words that have meaning, which are all words, change that meaning through time, especially in line with pop culture and how it changes. And so our idea of 8-bit and what I use is not the literal hardware-specific form, but about the aesthetic of 8-bit, which Make 8-Bit Art does allow you to do. And again, you can use Make 8-Bit Art to change the pixel size to one pixel and make photorealistic things, and that's not 8-Bit Art, but Again, I've always had in mind that people might use my tool for things that I didn't intend, and that's cool. Uh, but yeah, I get a I get a lot of feedback about how it's not exactly eight bit. Um, I think around the time I started working on this, um, there was a web app. Um, if I recall correctly, it was Ben Brown's company. He does a bot kit the Slack uh, tool, which is really, really awesome. And his work is really cool. I think that they made makepixelart.com. And that was like an in-browser, like does a lot more than my stuff does. But I think it was like a whole like dev shop that like had built it. Or maybe it was just like him and his partner. But around the time that had come out. So there's like multiple tools of like in-browser stuff. I haven't checked makepixelart.com though. I'm not sure if that's still around. But... I don't know. I don't know why I didn't. I don't even know if I like checked to see if make pixel art was available. In my mind, it was just like eight bit art, and so I'm just going to do make eight bit art. Well, it makes a lot of sense to me because um, if anyone, if you've listened to the show, my music is very reminiscent of eight bit video games, right? I actually that's what I literally was googling. I'm on the site looking for you know eight bit, you know, like old in retro video games was another one I googled, but actually eight bit gave me exactly what I wanted. So I love that. I mean, it's yeah. You know, and I get that idea of like, it's reminiscent of it. You know, my music is, because there's some, it was really funny when I was on this site, I can't remember the name of it. I'll put it in the show notes where I found my music. People can put their music on and you can buy it for like $15, $22 to use it, right? And I Googled a whole bunch, I was putting in, in the search bar a whole bunch of things. And sometimes if you put down retro video games, you'd get doo 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 doo, you know, like the firepower. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's not quite music. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's interesting, like eight bit, pixel that sort of aesthetic of stuff. Like, I guess, I think it's cool in that you're creating something with 
a lot of constraints, like the constraints of hardware, the constraints of an aesthetic. And people tell me like, well, why do you make art? Why do you make pixel art nudes when you can just like draw nudes? And I'm like, well, why would I just draw nudes if I could just take pictures of nudes? Like there's like a process <laughs> to it. And, and so like I draw a lot of my pixel art online and then I draw it on paper with like pencil and ink and, and whatever. And I've photographed my process and posted online and people see that I manually draw the grids for the pixel art first. All the time, a guy, and it's always a guy, will be like, have you heard of graph paper? Or why don't you just use graph paper? And I'm like, why don't I just take a photo? Like, why don't I do a lot of things? Like, people are so, I don't know, people, and maybe it's just because they're not artists, but they forget that the process is part of the art. And, like, I just love the, the therapeutic activity of tediously drawing a grid manually on paper and then erasing all of it when I'm done like that's just the thing I'm into um, which is very concerning for people just like how they're concerned about me not having ads on make ape art like none of this affects them in any sort of way it's just very it's very strange but well yeah people have opinions I feel like people love to have opinions about the right way to do something and I'm of the opinion that, I don't know, maybe there's a right way to do something. But it, when it comes to art and being creative, I don't know that, that I agree with that, right? It's about the process. It's about the journey, like you said. Yeah, and I think that their concerns aren't that, aren't the process. I think that, and because it's always men who do this to me, I assume that they just see me as a damsel in distress, and this is their way of saving me. Like, no, Jen, before you draw that grid, let me tell you about graph paper. And then I'm like, oh my god, graph paper, this saves my life. Like, my prince charming, take me away from this hell of pencil and rulers. And then we live happily ever after, and all of my art looks like shit, because you can't erase the grid from graph paper. Oh, that's a really good point, actually. I mean, I have no problem with you drawing. I do. I feel like I do things in interesting. I think I'm a quirky person. So, like the fact that you draw your grids, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I, I didn't even a graph paper. Honestly, didn't even occur to me right now uh, when I, I was like, oh yeah, that, I guess you could use that, huh? Yeah. I mean, I could do literally anything. It's, like, I don't know. It's, Graph paper is a pretty common thing. Um, I own tons of it. I prototype stuff and draw notes on them. Like, I have it. I choose not to use it. But. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it goes to this idea of creativity and art. Uh, it's, a, it, it's just about the process, I think. What, and, and I think it looks different and works different for everybody. Um, that, that's, at least, that's at least my opinion. And one of the things that I notice about you is there's a big, seems to be a big theme of, like, combining art and code together like if you know vart is a bit about that right um yeah. obviously make bit eight bit art is about that yeah i think i mean times are very different now like art and code is for lack of a better word like pervasive like sometimes i'm kind of like yeah i get it you can make art with code like i'm trying to build a uh, client's like web application right now like I don't need p5 for this but back when I was getting started like I was getting a lot of shit at my um school for incorporating art into my work into my like programming work and so I saw like okay the community is pretty hostile towards people who are artists that are trying to program um they don't see it as like real work or whatever and I think that's still the case now to a point but people are more publicly creating art with code and it's really rad and it's a lot more accessible now thanks to things like processing and p5.js which i love um and all sorts of other things and then like people are learning how to write javascript looking at make 8bitart.com source code which is terrifying to me i gotta like rewrite all of it <laughs> but <laughs> But I have, like, people will show the source code of Make Apen Art to their kids, and, like, my index.html file is just filled with ASCII dinosaurs saying sassy things, and 
they're like, oh yeah, my kids saw that. And like, oh, you could do that with code. And so now I taught them HTML. And I'm like, oh my god, that's like so rad. Um, I had no idea that that would be the thing. I was just trying to be a rebel by adding cute stuff to my code. But now we're like sort of entering this phase of product design engineering where we're all like making cute things with beginners in mind. I mean, glitch.com, I think, is a great example, which is why I am why I joined Fog Creek to, to work on it. And it's just like, we all need to be building like cute tools that are not only accessible um, in the terms that we think of accessibility now, but also in terms of lowering the barrier to getting new people into programming, um, especially young girls. Uh, mm, yeah, for sure. Can you tell us, I know we talked a little bit about Glitch, but can you tell us a little bit more about what it is and, and what, it, you know, what you do there? So Glitch, glitch.com, um, is a place where we say that you can build the app of your dreams. Uh, it's, there's two parts to it. There's an in-browser code editor, much like make a art is an in-browser pixel art editor. And uh, it allows you to write code and it automatically deploys it for you or puts it on the internet for you. You get like a custom URL so that whenever you update your app, it's online. You don't have to worry about like, for example, learning AWS or DigitalOcean and creating a, you know, a, a server for you to put your stuff onto. Cause that's like, that's a hard thing. DevOps is hard. Um, it and is. It, my, and par my partner does DevOps. Uh, it's, it's not easy. Right? Yeah, I did it at my last job and it's difficult. And we're sort of entering the space of web development now where people are expected to not only be able to build a website or a web application, but also get it online. And when you are learning, it's very overwhelming. So we've created a space where anybody can just like open up a project and it's already online and they can just edit code. So it takes that barrier away. I love that because I have a project that I've been working on that is not, I don't know how to port it over to the web. So I've, it's been just been lingering for two or three years. Yeah. So you just put that on glitch and you don't have to worry about it being how, how to get it on the internet. Like you just add to glitch. You can import GitHub projects. You can even export to GitHub or download a zip file. We don't own your code or make you program a certain way that's not standard, um, your code will work anywhere else. Uh, we have a focus on node applications, but you can make static stuff also, just like an index.html file or a command line only file. Um, you basically wow. get your own container to do whatever you like. Um, and we have a community at glitch.com where we like showcase apps that people are making that you can remix, which is basically copying that app and then it auto deploys. So you have your own version to work on. Um, you could also collaborate with other users. You can ask help and have people from the community come in and help you in real time um, on your project. And you could also help others. And we're just trying to create a space where people can build whatever they want to build without the barriers of deployment or also feeling like if they get stuck, they can't ask for help because it's a huge pervasive problem in the community. Oh, oh, it is. I have tears in my eyes right now <laughs> because, because that's, this is my story. I mean, I've been, I've been slowly learning to program in Ruby and I love Ruby. I mean, maybe PHP would have been a better language because I did a lot of WordPress sites, but I wanted to learn Ruby. And so I created this thing. It's called the digital magic eight ball. I don't know a name for it yet. Then, so now I have to figure out the name. Naming is the hardest problem it's, in computer science. Isn't it? Oh my gosh. Like I've had this. So basically what, you know, you get what a digital magic eight ball is, right? Yeah. Like, you just shake it up. It, like you have a question and then it, but mine does rather than like no doubt or ask later, it says things like, you know, quotes from the matrix or Shakespeare or hip hop lyrics. And it makes you like, it's like if you want an answer and it just makes you sort of think it's like this idea I had back in 2011. That's how long I've been working on it and still not on the web. <laughs> Partially because I didn't know how to program. And then I got, I got it right together. It's like in a file, it's in a Ruby and shoes. That's how I created it. And then now I haven't ported it to the web because my partner doesn't have time and I don't know how to do it. And then again, like you said, naming is hard. Yeah. I think digital eight ball, eight, uh, yeah, I think that sounds fine. 
Yeah, I think I can't remember. I think it's not available. So then I, I was like, ah, oh, forget it. I gotta keep. It. Oh, the domain. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta find the domain. But uh, but I, so I love what you're doing. I, I kind of you know I saw that you were working on this. I thought, wow, that's so great. I now I'm like, well, what other projects could I do? Because I think that held me up for a long time, right? I hang out a lot in the developer community. It's a primary community for me. All my clients are developers. I love developers, and I love being around code and talking about that stuff, but I'm not very good at it. So I think it's actually hemmed up a lot of my creativity mm -hmm. because I think, well, I just can't create something in code. So I should just, you know, continue writing or I should get not even think about these projects because I can't hope to complete them. Yeah. I think that for you, if I were your glitch therapist right now, <laughs> be my glitch therapist. I need one. <laughs> if you go to glitch.com, we have various categories of different apps that we showcase. Um, but also we have a search feature where you can search other apps that people have been doing. So if you have an idea, like I want to learn, um, I think a really, I think a really easy, uh, entry to JavaScript that's also fun is P5.js. Um, mm. it's a library that lets you create art on a canvas, much like make 8 has a canvas for drawing pixel art. It allows you to easily draw art and the syntax is super easy um, compared to JavaScript alone. It's like an abstraction of JavaScript drawing in which that they create functions that make you forget all the lines of JavaScript code it takes to draw a circle on a canvas. Like P5 just has a circle function and you give it like arguments like the radius and the width and the location and then it just draws it there. Um, I would say, um, I believe one of our categories, we have an art category um, where we showcase art people have made and also tools for making art. Or you can just search P5 and find example apps and you can view the source of all those apps, which is one of my favorite things about Glitch is we're trying to promote viewing source because that's how I learned how to build on the web is viewing the source of other people's sites. And so you can view the source of people's um, public apps. Uh, and you can either learn from that or you can just remix their projects so that's your own and it's already online. And you can just go in and start moving code around. And as you write code or move code around, it auto deploys each time. So you can have like the app open in another tab or window and you can see it changing and refreshing every time you change it. And that might be a fun thing to play around with and make wow. some art. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, because I, you know, I, I it's exciting when I saw it. I thought, well, I, maybe I could begin to think about these other ideas. I don't even know what other ideas I might have. They're all like sort of silly and dumb, but I do want to create on the internet. Right now, my creation on the internet is mostly writing. Now this podcast, which I love, but I do, I have this longing, like lots of people, right, who want to learn how to create something on the internet without having to become, because let's face it, I'm not going to become a full-time programmer. That's not, that's not my, my career path. Right. So Which I is very that. interesting that you bring that up because one discussion I've been having recently is like, are all like people say like, oh, if you've written code, you're you're a developer, um, and that's something that I say too because people will be like, oh, I'm not a real web developer. I'm like, well, you've written code, so you, you're a developer, and I and I feel like I have to start rewording it to be like, if you want to be a developer and you write code, then you're a developer. But there are people who are using code to solve problems that aren't developers. And they don't want to be developers, they just need something to solve some sort of problem. And it's very interesting how, at the same time, we're saying, like, everyone can be a web developer. It sort of feels like we're saying everyone should be a web developer, but that's not the case. Just like everyone's like, everyone should learn how to code. And I always say, everyone should have access to learning how to code if they want to learn how to code. That's such a great distinction. I mean, I want to unpack all of this because it's so, it's a conversation I've had for a long time too. I love that. Because like I was thinking, um, and I might have tweeted about this before, but one day the um, the thing in my toilet stopped like, I don't know, I don't know the, the parts of a toilet, but my toilet was constantly running and I was like, well, I'll just like, learn what that is by searching it online and just get a part to replace it. And I did. And I'm like, okay, I know how to replace this part in the toilet. Doesn't mean I'm a plumber though. I'm not going to go around being like, I'm a plumber. Cause I like fix the thing in my toilet. Um, if there are bigger problems that I'll hire a plumber to actually do that. There's a specialization there. Um, and so I kind of feel like that with like developers, like I met, um, 
I met this guy who's a magician in New York City, and he learned PHP so that he can incorporate the Twilio API into his act. No way, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. So there are people who have, like, career tracks, like, things that they're doing and they are totally crushing it at, and they're using code in order to, like, enhance or, like, make easy some sort of aspect of that job. Um, but, like, his, I think his website's nycmagician.com. Um, I should check that before I ruin his brand, but um, <laughs> we'll check before, and I'll uh, we'll make sure we uh, get the right one up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's his website. Doug McKenzie is his name. So yeah, so it's nycmagician.com, not like nycdeveloper.com. Like he's a magician, <laughs> and he's using code for that. Like, and that's like a thing, and that's what I want. I want people to feel secure in their own careers, but also be like, well, if I can use code to automate something that I'm going to like learn and do it um, and if you want to do it for free and not have to learn how to deploy it like glitch.com is a space for you well right and and I, for me too like it's creative expression I don't really need to automate a lot of things in in my work I mean my my partner is a software developer so he does most of it but I do want to learn so I don't quite feel so helpless sometimes um, but and I want it for creative expression right I, I want to use code for some kind of creative expression because I live 12 to 14 hours a day on the internet I mean I'm on my computer that much right so I want to learn how to be creative using code so I love I love what you're doing with I love what you're doing with Glitch. So when did Glitch start? It's pretty new, right? Glitch started a couple of years before I joined um, earlier in the year. It was a project started uh, by Daniel X Moore, my coworker and the creator of Glitch. It was called uh, I think it was called like Hyperweb or Hyperdev, and then they changed the name after my CEO Anil Dash joined to GoMix. And then when I joined, they were uh, working on the rename to Glitch. So as I said, naming is the hardest problem in computer science. Uh, we've been through four of them, uh, but Glitch is like there to stay because it's Glitch a super great. rad name. Yeah. I feel like you get it. I don't know, when I, when I saw that, it just made all sense in the world to me, what it was. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's a cool name, it's catchy. I like taking words that have negative connotation and, like, using it to, like, cheekily, like, add some positivity to it. Um, like, you think of, like, so, like, the name came from Slack. Slack used to, like, be a game called Glitch. And then you think of the name Slack, which Slack is, like, not, like, a positive word, but, like, it's used to, like, do the opposite of that. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. They're very, I, I they're very the good at picking these names. <laughs> I, ju I actually just read an article about the naming of Slack. Yeah? Yeah, I, I read it. I, I, I don't know. That's so funny that you mentioned that because I was just reading an article. And they came up. I can't remember the name of what they said that Slack meant because when they came, when he, you know, when Stuart came up with it, he was like, I'm thinking Slack. And his co-founder said yeah, but isn't there negative connotations? And they went, and, and then he came up with some acronym, but but they went ahead with it anyway, right? Yeah. I, I can't remember what the acronym is. Yeah. I'll see if I can find it in, for the show notes later. We got but, we, we got that with Glitch. Like, people are like, yeah, but isn't, like, Glitch bad? But also, like, there's also, like, a whole, like, Glitch art movement and aesthetic. So it's, like, in my mind, when, when I heard Glitch, I never thought negative because I'm super into Glitch art and music and video. So... I thought was like, yeah, glitch like is cool. Like, that's cool. But there are some people that don't know about that aesthetic, and they're like, oh, like that's like glitching is a bad thing. See, and see now. So I take I took it the opposite way because I I do I am aware of glitch art, and I think it's really really interesting and cool, and I loved it. But I also thought, oh well, you know, this might like a This might be a stumbling block. Like not being able to to get something on the web might be a, a stumbling block, a glitch, and they're helping you get over this glitch. So for me, it was it was very pot. It was very positive. It's just like the word I you know the word I use often is pixelated, and I'll say, oh, you know, my my understanding of this is issue is pixelated, and people would kind of turn their head at me. Yeah. <laughs> But I think it makes sense. Like it's it's pixelated. It's not quite clear yet. The picture yeah, hasn't there's formed. some like artifacts in there that are making it hard to yeah. 
Right, it's something's missing. So I guess I maybe Some people I have... say cloudy and like cloudy is more normal and like cloudy and pixelated are the same thing in like image digital image speak. Yeah. I yeah, say. I just thought that was really funny because I use pixelated all the time. I don't know why. It's just the way that I It works. Describe something. So maybe I that's why I mean glitch. You know, pixelated, that all makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> Again, naming, it can be hard and challenging because people can take it all sorts of ways and you want to make sure that it's, uh, you know, it, you want to make sure that it, it shares the project. Have you ever, has naming something ever really been a stumbling uh, block for any of your side projects? <sighs> no, I think that I always just pick like a name and then I'm just like, this is dumb, but I'm just going to go with it. Like with Vart, with Vart.institute. <laughs> I love Vart. So I like Vart, Vart, for those who don't know, was this like art history project that I started years ago. I haven't updated it in years either. It was sort of, I did like five posts, whatever. Um, maybe I'll go back to it. Maybe I won't. Who knows? Um, mm -hmm. It lives at Vart.institute. Um, I wanted like one of those weird new TLDs because around that time all like the dot kitchen dot institute stuff was coming out and I was like I'm hopping on this um, and VART is VAR space T as in like the declaration of a variable um, but I wanted something that had art in the title so it was like an art in JavaScript thing when I articulate it out loud I'm like this is like one of the many like bad things I've ever done like it's not okay this is like so ridiculous but it's <laughs> I'm very clever uh and so I, I write about an artist a fine artist um and how their work or a specific piece ties into my life personally as I learn about them and then I create something in JavaScript that recreates like generative versions of their work and that either means like a generative version of a painting using like javascript and css or as is like my mo tools that facilitate the creation of art in their style um just like make a bit art and so uh that name i also when i came up with it i was like well i'm gonna call it vart i bought the domain so i couldn't turn back and I was like, it rhymes with fart, and I'm just going to own that before anybody, like, makes fun of me for it. Which I, makes me giggle. I love it because, I mean, uh, you know, yeah. it makes me giggle. <laughs> also, like, when you think about it, I don't know if it's in, uh, I don't know what languages it's in. I'm pretty sure, like, in French and German, like, the V is like a fa sound. Mm. So mm -hmm. I'm just like, yeah, it's fart.institute if you're in <laughs> German like uh but like all the all the things I don't really name all that many things uh, and I'll give them just ridiculous names and I'm just like I'm owning it and I guess people online who know me and know me enough to just accept that um yeah yeah I mean it's just like I've never had to, like, I didn't come up with the name Glitch at all. That name was, like, ready when I joined Fog Creek. Um, I've never had to go through the process of, like, picking a name and, like, keeping in mind that we need, like, a .com for it. And yeah. we need to make sure that the name can't be misconstrued as something, like, not cool. And, like, compare it to, like, other languages to see if it means something bad in those languages. Like, I've never had to, like do that so I've been very lucky um and right, so or like or trademark searches right right everything so I've like just like I don't like to deal with money I don't like to deal with anything that's that big um I just don't like to work uh <laughs> I think the opposite of that is true given all I the just, things you yeah, do <laughs> yeah just like yeah just say like when it comes to naming and money i'm an anarchist i don't want to yeah like there's just too many systems in place that are holding me back from my creativity so i just avoid them at all it's costs it's so true god that stuff really can hold you back and you know this is something that uh i haven't made public at all yet but bet on yourself has been going through a trademark issue uh, and so that's been really interesting for me. I came up with that a couple of years ago. We bought the .com, bought the .net, dot like, 
bail yourself. Book.com, I bought everything I could buy, right? I just bought yeah. it all. And I thought, well, that will give me at least some presence on the internet. And, and I didn't trademark it at the time. And then recently someone else trademarked Bet On Yourself. Uh. And then I was like, oh man, now I have to trademark too because, right? Because if, yeah. tra- if they trademark it, they're in the clothing category. And so a different category than mine. But then I had to get a lawyer and we had to trademark just to protect it because we, I mean, we had prior use because we'd been using it for... We, had, we can show proof that we were using it on the internet in commerce yeah. for a year and a half before. But it's still, it's like, oh gosh, now I got to get a lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> and, now, and now the onus is on you to protect that trademark forever because, like, that's the thing with trademarks is, like, if you don't, like, send cease and desist to anybody else who's bet, bet on yourself, then, like, you're not protecting your trademark. And that's, it's like, this is so stressful. Like, you just want to create content and, like, do your job, but now you have to do all this, like, legal banana nonsense where like really like it's just it's capitalism sucks oh it was hard oh yeah and and by the way the person who's using bet on yourself is like with rock nation and i'm like oh okay great so i'm like this little pipsqueak upstart it was i will tell you it was very stressful for a few weeks i went to bed a couple nights thinking oh my gosh am i gonna lose bet on yourself am I gonna lose that name are they gonna be able to come after me because I've heard I read horror stories right it's like kind of yeah. like web, web ND on the internet <laughs> instead it was trademark horror stories on the internet which I should not have done at two in the morning right when I wake up am I gonna lose bet on yourself and you know googling yeah it was um. scary but I found a lawyer and my, you know I was able to find a, a lawyer who was like oh no this is fine you're not gonna lose it I promise you I asked him like four times am I gonna lose it you promise I won't lose it he's like no 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 you won't lose it I promise you and we actually just got so they do like a provisional they say yes you can be trademarked and then there's like they publish you so that people can oppose your trademark if they want to for 30 days someone can oppose it and if if no one opposes it and opposition is rare then you've in five months later you've have a trademark so i will tell you it was hard because that was the first thing i'd named yeah the first really i mean it's 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 the first thing i ever named and i i mean i've named other things but the thing that i really put out there and held on to i've named stuff and then i went "Eh, okay let it let's go to the wayside (laughs) this is so stressful it really was, and you're actually the first person I've told outside of my partner and my mom about it because I've been holding my breath for months. Like, oh, am I gonna have to rename it? And then I started googling and getting other URLs, and oh my gosh, it was stressful. Wow. Well, I hope that that works out. And at the end, now you'll be like a trademark expert, which is probably a skill you never like thought that you would ever know or want to know. Right, right. I'm a little scared about that. Like now I'm a trademark naming expert. Interesting. I, I know how to search tests, I think it's called. Super easy. So uh, yeah, so naming is really challenging and interesting. So um, I really, I'm so glad that you came on the show today. Thank you so much for spending time with us. I really, really enjoyed having you. Oh yeah, this is really fun. This is a really good conversation.